Hello and welcome to The Woman Who. I'm Clara Ampho. And in this series, I'll be bringing you the remarkable stories of some of the world's most inspirational women. From pioneers of fashion, literature and television to the boldest activists, athletes and campaigners. These are the tales of the fearless. Women who have defied convention, broken boundaries and pushed the limits of what's possible. I'll be taking a deep dive into their lives, reliving their struggles and setbacks, their loves and losses, and how they overcame every obstacle in their path to achieve unimaginable success. These women are the real deal. This is the story of the woman who cared when no one else did. West End actor, HIV AIDS activist, and unsung hero, Jill Nalder. Jill Nalder was only 18 years old when she received a letter that would change her life. It was news of her acceptance to a three-year acting course at the Mountview Theatre School in London. The year was 1980, and Jill's heart was filled with a nervous anticipation for what Mountview and her future would bring. London was a world away from Jill's upbringing. Though she had been born there, she was raised from age six in the Welsh town of Neath, just outside Swansea. She led a rather sheltered, quiet life until the day her RE teacher took Jill to see the musical Godspell. She didn't just love Godspell, she was obsessed with it. She went to see it over and over again. Hanging around the stage door and with the cast after the shows at the pub. Eventually, her enthusiasm paid off with a job at the Swansea Grand Theatre. Not a real job, mind you, but an unpaid gig, making tea for the actors and sweeping the stage after performances. She loved it. Still though, Jill wanted to be on the stage and not just with a broom after the lights went down. The chance came when she joined the West Glamorgan Youth Theatre. The Youth Theatre was a safe place for weird kids to be themselves. Jill made friends for life, revelling in a shared love of performance. It was also a place that many of Jill's new friends could, for the first time, finally tell someone that they were gay. Jill took on a new role, one of the most important of her life. As she later explained, I started to find myself becoming the keeper of secrets for boys who'd been afraid to tell anyone they were gay. When Jill arrived in London for her acting course, she hit the ground running. Outgoing and fun, and already at home in the theatre world, Jill quickly added many more friendships to her circle. One was a 19-year-old dreamboat from Venezuela named Juan. They were instantly inseparable. One was vivacious and warm, with stunning good looks and a beautiful singing voice to match. Together, the two explored the parties and clubs of London, worlds away from their respective homes, where one found it to be open about his sexuality. 
Jill's community sprung up around her with joyous abandon. In her second year of college, she found a surprisingly cheap place with her friends who would become that community's social centre, the Pink Palace. With purple and pink carpets, furnishings and wallpaper, it was the perfect gathering place for outrageous parties, drag shows and cabarets. It was the centre of a universe of fun. They were young and they were theatre kids. They were invincible. At least that's how it seemed. Until one day in 1982, when Jill spotted a newspaper article in a cafe about a strange new illness that had been sickening gay men in America. To Jill's annoyance, the journalist referred to it as a gay flu, which just sounded ridiculous. How, after all, could a flu be gay? Jill was worried, though, as her beloved one was in New York City at the time. Talk of the mysterious new illness was not yet all-encompassing. Jill and her friends were focused on their careers, going to endless auditions, taking on glamorous jobs, and trying to break through the impossible world of show business. It wasn't long, though, before another headline caught Jill's eye. Britain threatened by gay virus plague. The 1980s were not a safe time to be openly gay, which made spaces like the theatre and the Pink Palace all the more special and important. The emerging news of a disease that threatened mostly gay men only threw fuel on the fire of wildly accepted bigotry. The press targeted gay men with vile headlines, like when The Sun declared, AIDS is the wrath of God. Jill was terrified for her friends, both because of the disease and the reaction to it. As Jill later wrote, fear grew like a mist encroaching and surrounding us, creeping into more and more of our conversations. With a terrible inevitability, Jill and her friends began to hear the news that those in their extended friendship circle were falling ill or disappearing back to their hometowns, never to return. The first AIDS tests became available in 1986 and with them, the horrible certainty that if you were positive, you would die. Though today, medication exists to suppress HIV to undetectable and untransmittable levels, at the time, there were no treatments. Once again, Jill became a keeper of secrets. This time, they were horrible ones. Friends who needed to tell someone that they were HIV positive, but could not bear to let anyone know but her. Jill took on the responsibility of their secrets and their care. She researched possible treatments, side effects, and all of the many threats to a person whose immune system had been obliterated by AIDS. She volunteered on AIDS wards, visiting strangers as well as her friends, and was sometimes the only visitor that those sicker men would get. Hardest of all, Jill was also the person who would have to phone her friend's parents and tell them that their sons were dying. Alongside the actual nurses and doctors who cared for their patients with discretion and dignity, when not many people would. 
Jill did all of this work at the same time her career grew ever more demanding, including a coveted role in the West End production of Les Miserables. With her new castmates, Jill co-founded an organisation to raise money and awareness for HIV care and research. They called it Les Mis Cares, which eventually joined with other theatrical companies to create West End Cares, raising money and awareness for AIDS research with a series of late Monday night cabarets. Even with everything she did though, Jill could not protect her friends. One by one, her beloved friends, including the wonderful one, tested positive for HIV. Those who had trusted Jill to keep their secrets now faced the horrendous illness that accompanied AIDS. Jill never shied from their struggles or left their sides until the very end. By the early 90s, Jill and her West End community were sometimes attending multiple funerals per week. AIDS was cutting a devastating path through the theatre world and through Jill's heart. She was no longer the carefree girl of her Pink Palace days. In the end, the first effective treatments that ensure HIV-positive people could protect their immune systems and live lives full came just a year too late for Jill's dearest friends. Through all the heartache, though, Jill found a new perspective on life. I learned how important it was to take every opportunity life throws at you, to make the most of every day, she later wrote. That realisation has never left me. Jill is still a working actor. Decades after the joy and the heartache of the 80s and 90s, her legacy from that time has also lived on. West End Cares would last almost 30 years and raised millions of pounds towards the cause of HIV research. But most of all, Jill's legacy is in the relationships she formed. Across the world, the word family was changing and expanding. She wrote, where biological families could not be told or would not support their ailing sons, people like Jill picked up the pieces, visited the hospitals and loved their friends profoundly. If Jill's story sounds familiar, it's because her story sparked the work of one of her friends from the youth theatre, the writer Russell T Davis, who memorialised the story of Jill and the Pink Palace and all that came afterwards in his award-winning Channel 4 series, It's a Sin. According to Russell, though, the fictional Jill is not exactly like the real Jill. The actual woman, he says, is bawdier, funnier, madder, camper, and even kinder, if you can imagine such a thing. The real Jill is also starred in the show as the fictional Jill's mother. As It's a Sin gained critical acclaim, Jill finally began to get recognition for her years of quiet work. This was not something she ever craved or demanded, but she deserves it nevertheless. In the end, Jill remembers that time, not just as one of loss and darkness. I do not feel that I sacrifice any part of my life in caring for those with AIDS, she wrote. 
but rather that my life has been enriched by the love I have experienced. The Woman Who podcast series has been brought to you by Fennec, the UK's department store of distinction since 1882. Tune in each week to uncover the story of a new inspirational woman and head to fennec.co.uk for more information. If you've been enjoying Fennec's stories of inspiring women, please don't forget to subscribe or follow on your favourite podcast app. Why not share it too, as it helps other people to hear about it. The Woman Who is a Radio Wolfgang production, written by Hannah Jewell and read by me, Clara Antho. The producer is Cass Denton. Sound design is by Ivor Manley. And the executive producer is Ellie DiMartino. Martino.